Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It is Thursday. It means it's our day to check in with our friends at Lutheran Senior Services. So excited. We have a great opportunity today as well. If you have questions, we have some answers for you as well. So hope you can stick around for the conversation as we talk about uh, questions that you might have, particularly legal questions that uh, older adults might face. So if you have a question or comment today, 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727. Thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find them in the sponsor section at kfuo.org. It is LSS Thursday here on Faith and Family. Anne-Marie Wallace back in studio. We're both back in studio again today, finally. It's been a little uh, little hiatus there. I missed you. I missed you, too. I know. It wasn't the same. <laughs> of course, Sarah is wonderful and great, but yeah, these this past month it's been... I've missed you, Andy. Welcome Travels back and Sherathon, well. all kinds of uh, things that have up, up, upset our schedule. But we have, uh, as we we come back together now, we have a uh, well, kind of an exciting, as you mentioned earlier off the air and on Facebook Live, an interactive uh, segment today. We do. So with us in studio today is Brian Reinhold. He's our in-house counsel at Lutheran Senior Services, um, which is a fancy way, as we were saying earlier, that he's a really good lawyer, basically, and he helps our residents. He helps Lutheran Senior services, kind of navigate those legal issues. And I brought him on today because this is not his first time on KFUO. This is his second time. And from his um, the, his time with us, we had some of the highest responses we've ever had before. So I was like, Brian, you have to come back. And this time we actually want to take questions straight from you. So Andy was sharing a number. We'll share it again later. Um, but Brian's here in studio to answer your legal aging questions. And uh, we're going to kind of put him in the hot seat. So Brian, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And as well, before we get started, if you want to see what's going on, if you want to see Brian maybe sweat a little bit... <laughs> We do have Facebook Live going right now, and you can watch what's going on in the studio by going to facebook.com slash Lutheran Senior Services. Facebook.com slash Lutheran Senior Services. You can see us in studio today. And everybody else is all dressed professionally. We have a, a picnic today here at work as a uh, charity, a fundraiser for uh, disaster response. So uh, I get to help out with the picnic. So I'm all dressed for a picnic today. You all are, <laughs> are ready for the for the office and looking so nice and professional. If you have a question today, 1-800-730-2727 is the toll-free number in North America. Jenny is ready to uh, to take your calls, and, and we can put you right into the program here with your questions. Uh, or if you're in the St. Louis area, you can call... Call 314-821-0850. That's 314-821-0850. Now, Brian, what are what are some typical common questions that, that, that most people have? A lot of those questions deal with planning for mm-hmm. retirement, for older age, for the health care you may need as you get older. So those are a lot of the questions we get from many of the seniors I speak to, the ones I work with, and how to financially plan for those and predict and uh help out what they're going to do with their estate and what health care they may need. And we did, uh, we, we welcomed questions throughout the, the last uh, two weeks mm-hmm. uh, preparing for today's program. And so shall we listen to uh, to one of the first questions? Shall we take a look like at that? I feel like we should do like a drum roll. Right? <laughs> here we go. <laughs> All right. Here is, uh, here's one of our first questions from this week. Good morning. This is Jeanette Lockwall from Woodville, Wisconsin. If a nursing home insurance is the same as long-term insurance, and second question, how does one prepare your finances when one has to answer the nursing home? 
All right. So uh, you, you want to address those? Sure. I'll, right. I'll take the uh, first question uh, first because it's the easiest one to answer. Uh, short answer is yes. Nursing home insurance is basically the same, tam- same thing as long-term care insurance, though okay. the preferred nomenclature is long-term care insurance. The reason being is long-term care insurance covers more than just entering the nursing home. It, it can be the nursing home. It can also be other levels of care, such as assisted living, or actually paying for services to provide health care services in your own home. Um, to answer her second question of how to prepare your finances for going to the nursing home, that's a much broader question that's going to take into account what healthcare needs you anticipate needing, your financial uh, abilities to pay for, and what you're looking for at uh, to, to leave to your estate, so to speak. So it sounds like, Brian, it's it's good to get some some legal help with that to kind of go through all those pieces. And then I know at Lutheran Senior Services, we have senior living counselors and staff members who that's also part of what they do really? is for potential future residents who are coming in. They kind of also help them figure out, well, what level of care do they need? What's going to be, you know, kind of fit their needs, whether it's home and community based services and they're serving in their home or, or within mm-hmm. one of our life plan communities. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead, Andy. Sorry. Well, going back to the first question about uh, nursing home insurance, or what was the the other type of insurance? Long term care insurance. Long term care insurance. When is a good time to 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 purchase that? I don't think there's a time that's ever too soon to start looking into that. Okay. Oftentimes, like most insurance, the healthier you are, the less expensive it's going to be. And depending on who's providing it and what options are available, you may be able to secure your long-term care insurance 30, 40 years before you need it and pay a much reduced rate and prepay it before you actually need it. The older you are, the more likely you're going to be needing a nursing home. The insurance company is going to raise the rates on that because they know they're going to have to be paying out sooner rather than later. And at the end of the day, the insurance company does need to remain solvent. So they're going to have to charge you more for it. So if you prepay, does that mean you actually reach a point where you've you've paid it all? Some plans do provide that. It's really going to depend on who the provider is. I I know of several plans that you can pay over a 10-year period, and it's prepaid and giving you a guaranteed benefit once you need it for either indefinitely or for a certain Mm -hmm. period of time. That's really something to speak with the various financial planners out there, insurance brokers, to see what options are available for you and what would best fit your budget and needs. I never even thought of it. I I am such a big proponent of long-term care insurance. Now that since I've been within the senior living and mm-hmm. care industry, gosh, I'm I mean, obviously I'm not to the age yet where I can do that, but oh, I just see the benefits of it and it's a great it's an investment in yourself and in your future. Hmm. Well, very good. All right, uh, do we want to go on to the uh, the next question? Bring it on. All right. Here is uh here's a question number 2 came in this week. Hi, this is Jane calling from Lake St. Louis. I have a question for Brian. Uh, my husband and I have been wondering uh, what will happen when we've made our checking account so that it's payable on death for our daughter so that she has access to our funds if we're dead. But what happens if both of us are incapacitated, say one of us has a stroke and the other one has an aneurysm or something? It, will she have access to those funds or should we arrange that differently to make it easier for her? Thanks very much. I'd appreciate your help. Bye. So what to do when it comes to checking account and making plans for that or uh, probably any financial accounts, I would assume. So they've, they've established that their checking account is payable to their daughter on th- upon their death. 
Correct. The, the caller, I believe, was saying that they have placed their daughters payable on death to their account, but wanted to know what would happen if they were incapacitated, had not actually passed mm-hmm. on yet. Um, payable on death is exactly what it sounds like, payable on death. All the other account holders needs to have expired before it then transfers to that designee in this place, the daughter. Um, unfortunately, being incapacitated does not trigger that payable on death. This is one of those examples where putting your estate together ahead of time is very important, such as a power of attorney. Uh, The power of attorney would then allow the daughter to have access to those financial accounts to be able to take care of the parents. Oftentimes, these power of attorneys are set up so that they don't come into being, meaning they're not active, until that person is declared incapacitated. So this would address the exact situation the caller is is calling about. And when you say declared incapacitated, that would be by like a doctor or a health professional. Like, I can't... Just anyone can't come and be like, nope, they're incapacitated. Like, it has to be a professional. That's correct, Anne-Marie. Most of them are listed as either one physician or sometimes two have evaluated the particular person and declared them incapacitated to be able to make decisions. Then that power of attorney would allow the daughter to be able to handle finances or, if it's written as such, to be able to make health care decisions for their mom or dad. That makes sense. And that's so much better than, you know, just... Uh son or a daughter thinking, okay, I'm, I'm mad at mom or dad. I'm just going to declare that, uh, you know, they're having a bad day. So they're, they're incapacitated. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. You have Mm -hmm. to have, uh, and I assume that's in the the power of attorney that, that is, um, one of the triggering clauses. Right. The terms. Correct. You, you can have the power of attorney be effective at different times. Sometimes you can write them to be effective as soon as they're signed. So that would mean in this case, the daughter would have access to those accounts immediately, or you could write it so that they don't become effective until the parent has been declared incapacitated, which is exactly what the right or the caller was asking about was a situation so that the daughter would have access to the funds and being able to manage them if mom and dad were not able to make those decisions anymore, but were still alive. And the great benefit of that, if they were to set up the power of attorney, you know, if you had two parents and in this case, you know, they're afraid they're both going to be incapacitated, that means that they can pay for all the health things that are going on right now f- directly from, I think it was Jane, Jane's account. Her daughter could take care of all those financials and not have to worry about it. So I think the major point is just a little bit of forethought can save so much headache down the road. In fact, of you have a plan, you're prepared for kind of a variety of situations, and that way your loved ones, you know, are kind of taken care of in that situation. Correct. And that's not to say if you don't have the foresight to put together a power of attorney that there's nothing for you to do on the back end. In such a situation, if there was no power of attorney and the daughter needed to get access to these funds to take care of parents who weren't able to do it, she could petition the courts to do what's called a guardianship and a conservatorship. The downside of that is you need to hire an attorney. They don't come cheap. It's a lengthy process, and it would take, at the very least, probably several months to do that. So this is definitely where uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound, of, or better than a pound of cure. Well, and, and and think of all of that. Who wants to have to deal with all of that? That's a lot to manage while you're also trying to manage your parents' health care if they're if they're incapacitated. I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So like Brian was saying, just a little bit of forethought can save a lot of kind of probably some stressors on the inside. Very true. If, if you're trying to deal with a court proceeding while at the same time trying to take care of parents who 
need help and you have doctors and nurses who are looking for someone to provide guidance, but there's no one legally mm-hmm. allowed to do it, 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 it puts it in a very uh, difficult limbo and how to best care for your loved ones. And is just emotionally exhausting, I'm sure, as well, while you're trying to, to deal with that. All of that. 1-800-730-2727. If you have a question today for uh, for our guest in studio, Brian Reinhold, he's in-house counsel for Lutheran Senior Services. So 1-800-730-2727. Are we ready for our next question? I am. All right. Hi, this is Julie from Southeast Missouri. What happens to me if my retirement money runs out while living in a senior community? So Julie wants to know what happens if she... Uh, she runs out of money, runs out of funds while she's in a senior living community. Fortunately, if we do run out of funds, we have Medicaid to fall back on. Um, the unfortunate part with Medicaid, though, is not every senior community accepts Medicaid, and not every bed in a senior community may be eligible to have a Medicaid resident in there. Oftentimes, two senior communities that do accept Medicaid um, have restrictions on what those residents are allowed, such as they may not be allowed to have a private room anymore. They may have to share it. So mm-hmm. Medicaid is definitely something you want to take a look at. Um, and with if you're factoring that into your estate planning, that you're planning to go on to Medicaid, you want to take a look at the communities in your neighborhood that accept Medicaid to make sure that that's a place you'd want to live. You may have to be looking at communities that are rather far from your loved ones, so they may not be able to visit as easily as before. Um, but Medicaid really is the fallback. If you do run out of funds, Medicaid's not available where you're currently living, that facility does have the right to evict you, unfortunately. And I think this is such a huge issue because not only are are we living longer, um, we also are having such complex care needs as well. And we see it time and time again that you know, we've got residents who are very careful in their planning. They've saved up. They've worked really hard. They've prepared for retirement, but you can get sideblind by something that you were not expecting in terms of, of care or medical needs. And so I think this is a question that's really applicable to everyone and is, is a concern that many have in terms of, well, what's going to happen to me? Hmm. Would this be a good time for me to ask about benevolent care? It's always a great time to ask about benevolent care. (laughs) Yeah, so Lutheran Senior Services, we are a faith-inspired organization. um, And one of the things that we believe is that um, we should serve as Christ has served. So we have um, set up something called benevolent care. And it's for our residents who are in a very very similar situation to this. So they have planned for retirement. They came to us. They had saved. um, They were able, you know, kind of to have a long-term plan and they were good to go. And so they came to be um, a resident, a Lutheran Senior Services community, and then something sideswiped them or hit them or they lived much longer than what they anticipated, you know, down the road. And so benevolent care is a way that we can support our residents. And um, it's very special to Lutheran Senior Services. It's something that's close to our heart because we don't ever want to kick someone out. We are a family together and family stays together. And so that's why we have benevolent care. And you see that in the communities. I've had the the opportunity to get out and visit some of the LSS communities. And you you really see that among the residents that, and and those who've come here to, uh, to share their stories as well. You can see that, that, that when they move into uh, uh, an LSS community, a senior living community, they really are engaged in the community. It is, it is very much so uh, v- incorporated into their whole lives. To be uprooted 
and have to leave. And yeah. leave that that community, that that network of support that they have would be would be quite difficult, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like Brian was saying, you know, you might have to move across town. You might have to use move many miles away if you needed a Medicaid bed and it wasn't available. Um, and none of our residents come to Lutheran Senior Services thinking that they're going to need benevolent care. But it's there, and it's a part of our Christian mission that you know what we're gonna we're gonna take care of those um, who have entrusted you know, who we've been entrusted with. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, I think, one of the great things about Lutheran Senior Services that maybe not a lot of people know about. One of the things I didn't know about was all the questions that Brian could answer. Brian can answer many <laughs> questions. And I will say, even outside of legal questions, Brian is a good, a good source of knowledge, I would say. You, I pay her to say that. <laughs> <laughs> What is, Brian, what is, um, what are some of the more difficult questions that you get from time to time where it's more, um, it's not just a, a black or white answer, but this really needs more context in order to, to be able to answer the question? Hmm. Many of the questions I get, um, unfortunately, are dealing with uh, scenarios we talked about today, Mm -hmm. how to make decisions for loved ones who are in a nursing home who are no longer able to make the decisions themselves, and they haven't done the proper pre-planning to allow us to let that son or daughter make the decision. Oftentimes, that puts us in a situation where we have multiple children all trying to be vocal advocates for their parents, but they may not agree with their siblings and without clear guidance of who we can fo- or follow and who's the decision maker in the group it makes it a very challenging time to be able to go through that and try to get some consensus with what's going on and oftentimes we find ourselves in the middle of those family squabbles having to try to mediate and but ultimately with the goal for what's best for that mom dad or or that couple Brian works very well between a rock and a hard place. He sits there quite well and uses his skills, I think, <laughs> to kind of mediate those situations. I would I would definitely agree with what Brian just said. Yeah. And if I may plug a couple documents that I highly recommend everyone to have. We talked about this back in December. Um, I know one of our callers had called in earlier and left a, had a question that she was 61 and asking, does she need a power of attorney now? I would say you need one at 61. You probably need one at 21. Uh, the power of attorney gives your designee, and you can have a, a series of them. You could have it be, you know, starting out as your your son, your daughter, maybe go to a friend if they're not available or unwilling to do it. But it gives them the ability to make decisions on your behalf when you're unable to do so. But in addition to that, you want to have several other documents too. You want to have an advanced directive. That's going to direct your healthcare provider and your power of attorney to know and have an idea of what medical care you want. You may not want to be a full code status, meaning that if you go in responsive, they don't perform CPR. Um, you may may or may not want certain types of medical care based upon your religious preferences. Those are all things that can be put into an advanced directive. And it'll also give guidance for those scenarios that you can't predict exactly, but it'll give guidance on what sort of life-preserving uh, care you may want. In addition to the durable power of attorney, which generally more focuses on financial issues, you want a healthcare power of attorney. That allows a person to be able to make healthcare decisions for you. And that could be the same person? Can you have a power of attorney in the durable? Durable power of attorney in the healthcare? The same person can be that? Yes, you can. Okay. And in my personal practice, I highly recommend it being the same person because sometimes you may have your son be the healthcare power of attorney and the daughter be the financial power of attorney. 
they may not always agree on things. And that makes a complicated situation for the healthcare provider to be able to serve the needs of the resident if those two powers of attorneys aren't agreeing. But so that's my personal practice is to try to make them both in one mm-hmm. and the same, but they don't need to be. Um, lastly, you want to have a will or a trust or something to describe how you're going to devise your property or estate at the at your end of life so that you save your family the time and hassle of having to figure out how to divide up your property, who gets what. Um, a will does need to go through probate, while a trust does not, but the trust then needs a little bit more pre-planning, putting your house into the name of the trust, and something you really want to talk with uh, an attorney, your tax accountant, um, on how best to set up. So Brian mentioned mm-hmm. that these documents we talked about when he was last on December, and we'll actually make that blog post available. We'll push it to the top. Um, so that way, anyone, if you want to find out these documents that Brian just talked about, lssliving.org slash blog. Um, when we get back to the office, we'll go and we'll make sure to post <laughs> that up at the top so that you can find that easily. Those are great pieces of information that, like Brian said, whether you're 61 or 21 to start thinking about. Especially for the for the uh, the single person or the widow or the widower, this is really important, I would think, because uh, you want to make sure that you clearly have designated who that person is who's going to take care of you or or your estate. Correct. And I would go even a step farther. Even if your significant other, your spouse is still alive, you still want to have these documents prepared. Mm-hmm. It's a common misconception that. I'm a man. If my wife ended up in the hospital, that the hospital would listen to me and do what I said. That's not necessarily true. The laws don't always work that way. So it's always good to have a clear Mm -hmm. legal document that says this is the person who makes decisions for me when I can't make them. And when I talk to our residents um, at our communities, a lot of the reasons, you know, we talk about these things with them and they say, you know, they wanted to go to a life plan community or they wanted to create these documents so that they had a voice in the care that they wanted. And I think that is such a testament to 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 making sure that what you want is known and then it is followed through so that you can make those decisions for yourself. We did have another question that came in just a little bit before the program. A listener called in. She uh, She's in her 80s, a widow. Her home is uh, in her name and her husband's name. And her her adult son has returned home, has been living at home for, I think about, she said about 12 years. She would like to know what steps she should take to make sure that the, uh, you know, that the home goes to her son, what steps to make sure that the estate is taken care of and that, that her son is taken care of as well um, when that time comes. Sure. Um- Without getting too much into the weeds, with the, when the husband and wife were both on the on the deed, there's different ways you can title that in there, such that when the husband passes away, the house entirely goes to the wife. That's most likely the way it was set up. Um, to add to make sure the house goes to the son, one of the easiest ways would be to add his name to the deed. Um, I would recommend just at least briefly discussing with a real estate attorney to take a look at the deed to see how it's set up and then how best to add the son to it. But generally speaking, that would be the cleanest way for the son to inherit the house when mom passed away, such that it would be almost like a payable on death, such that mom passes away, the son is now in the uh, oh, sorry, the house is now in the son's name. Very nice. Easy enough. We have, um, we have just about uh, about two minutes left. Do Any more questions? All right. We have one quick question. My Let's... name is Bob from O'Fallon, Missouri. I have a question for Brian. 
if the owners of the senior living facility go bankrupt, would the refundable portion of the entry fees be protected from creditors? This is a tough one. It is. I'm going to give about the most lordly answer I can. <laughs> so the question, really quickly, the, for our Facebook audience who's listening, because they can't hear the oh. audio as we're going, um, the question was, if the retirement community that you're going to goes bankrupt, what happens to like your entrance fees or things of that nature, like money that you have invested within that community? Okay. And as I said, it really depends. A lot of it is going to depend on that entrance fee contract, how it's how it's drafted, what the exact language says in there. If it says that that entrance fee is secured or in escrow or some language like that, I would say your argument of that being protected and being paid back to you from a bankruptcy filing is better than if it didn't include that language. But these are very complicated uh, discussions and something that you would really want to consult with a bankruptcy attorney to understand that. And if you have any reason to believe or believe that your um, uh, long-term care provider that you're living with that you have paid an entrance fee to may be going bankrupt, I would recommend contacting a bankruptcy attorney immediately to be able to discuss with them what your options are. I, to preface that, I am not a bankruptcy attorney. I know just enough to be dangerous about it. But it, it is an area of law that people specialize in and spend their entire careers doing. So I, I'm sorry I can't give a little bit more detail than that other than maybe, maybe not. Well, thanks for answering our questions today, though. We, we've worked through several questions today. I really appreciate that, Brian. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. He's really good at what he does. <laughs> That's why he's at Lutheran Senior Services. LSSliving.org is the website. The blog is there as well, too, correct? Um lssliving.org slash blog, and we'll be putting those documents, resources that Brian thinks everyone should have. We'll put that up once we head back to the office, so you can see it there shortly. And what are we going to talk about in uh, next time in two weeks? Next time, so I, we talked briefly about benevolent care, how it's really at the heart of our ministry at Lutheran Senior Services. So upcoming, we actually have a golf tournament that'll be happening on July 10th here in St. Louis at Norwood Hills Country Club. It all goes to support benevolent care. So I'm going to be speaking more two weeks from now about what benevolent care care is and how it impacts so many adults um, who, who really need it. Very good. Anne-Marie Wallace, Lutheran Senior Services, thanks so much for coming over today. Brian Reinhold, in, uh, in-house legal counsel at LSS, thanks so much for being my guest today. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to head to West Africa, learn about Mercy Medical Teams in West Africa and opportunities that, uh, that you have ahead of you as well. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.